Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. We are... uh starting the year talking about prayer. So it's um, appropriate that I interrupted you all uh, to talk about prayer as you're praying, right? Kind of ironic. But uh, prayer is incredibly vital to our walk with God. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is. It's one of the reasons why we spend time praying here in midweek. And I think, honestly, I think, you know, the first Wednesday that we had midweek, we had 70-something people here. And I think the format of kind of forcing us to pray for, you know, 10 minutes corporately. And then that first was like five minutes uh, in groups. Um, I think it kind of threw people off. And I think it was, it was awkward and uncomfortable. And um, I think it was different. People weren't expecting that. But um, prayer is so important to our walk with Christ. Jesus, in his, his interaction with the devil in, in, uh, in, in Matthew, whenever you are a Mark, I believe it is. Sorry, I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, when he's being tempted, um, he says that man shall not live by bread alone, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I think he's quoting a verse out of Deuteronomy in there, right? And so if our souls are fed by reading the word of God, man, then prayer is like the wind that keeps us moving, like the sail, wind in our sail that keeps us moving forward. It's, it's important. Uh, prayer is mentioned about 150 times in the New Testament. We see that we're called to pray for our enemies. We pray for God to send workers for the harvest, pray that we don't fall into temptation, pray, you know, we're to be constant in prayer, devoted to prayer, pray for deliverance, pray for all people, pray with hands lifted high, pray on our knees, pray on our face, pray in the morning, pray at night, pray always, pray when we're suffering, pray for the sick, pray fervently, pray quietly, pray in public, pray in uh, private. As followers of Christ, we are supposed to be people of prayer. And if the Bible didn't mention any of those, we see in the Gospels that Jesus going away frequently to spend time in prayer. And if we're, to, if we're to imitate the life of Christ, then we should spend time in prayer as well. Amen? We all agree on the same page? So my thought was that we would kind of keep in line with what we had been doing last semester as we would look at a portion of Scripture and just unpack it. We would jump into like Matthew 6 or Luke 11. Um, you see in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, Jesus is teaching people how to pray. In Luke 11, his disciples see him praying, and when he finishes, they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And very similar prayers, two different instances um, but very similar prayers. And I was like, well, let's dive into that and kind of dig in and, and see like what is the, the proper way for us to pray. But the more I kept doing research and the more I kept studying, the more I kept thinking about it, I kept hitting this, this big question. At least in my mind, it was a big question. Um, why? Like, what's the purpose of my prayers? Um, and, and, here's, and before you were like, this guy's leading a Bible study, he didn't pray. Hold on. I, this is not where I settled, all right? So calm down. Like, take a breath. Um, But my thought was, am I giving God any new insight? Am I giving God new information that he was not aware of to begin with? As I'm praying for my my son to be healed, he's like, oh, man, I didn't know you didn't like your son that has epilepsy. Man, you give me something to consider now. Like, let's, let's, okay, let's plan B, right? Or or as I'm praying for my sisters um, to be saved, he's like, wait, you didn't like their spiritual condition? Man, okay, well, let's, thanks for that. I was unaware. Like, God knows. He knows. He's aware of those things. And so I'm like, 
maybe I'm an idiot. Maybe I'm, I'm just missing the, the forest for the trees. Maybe I was thinking too hard, but I kept coming back to this question. You know, why do we pray? Yes, it's, it's fellowship with God. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's communication. Yes, it's commanded that we pray, but why? Maybe it's just me being stubborn and being like a little kid that you tell them to do something, and they say, why? You know, brush your teeth. Why? Well, there's a reason behind your why, right? Brush your teeth. Why? Because I said so. It should be good enough. But, but why? Yeah, the reason is, you know, if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to get cavities, and you're going to have to go to the dentist. It's going to be painful. I don't want to pay for your irresponsibility. Go brush your teeth. That's, there's a why. So there's a why. You know, why do we pray? Um, and, and I genuinely wanted to know. And the reality is that as we study the Word of God, we're going to bump up against truths about God that seem to be at odds with one another. And so, so take this. We, we see that um, what is, what is the, the eternity for people that are separated from God? What's, what's their eternity? Hell, right? Is God love? Yeah. So how do we, how do we mesh these two things? There are two truths about God. God is love, but people also spend eternity in hell that are, that are, that are died separated from Christ. It doesn't mean that God is at, opposed with each other or with himself, right? But there are two truths about God. And the thing is, sometimes when, when we read the word of God and we bump up against these difficult truths, a lot of times what we do is instead of digging deeper and studying, we just kind of run away. And we never want to address some of these deeper truths. We never want to see how they're reconciled with one another. And so, so let me tell you the truth that was causing me to ask this question, why? Right? Why do I pray? Um, the past few years, I've been very intentional about trying to, to learn more um, about God, be, be a better student of his word. Um, I, I know way more than I did three years ago, but I still have so much more to go. And the truth is, I'll never be, I'll never know it all. No one ever will. But one of the things that I've, I've come to learn is that God is sovereign, that God is in control. And so when I say the word sovereign, it kind of like, it's kind of an old fashioned word. And I'm actually going to define it from an old fashioned author by the name of A.W. Pink in his book, The Sovereignty of God. And so it's not a nice little um, Webster's uh, definition. There's a, there's a lot to it. And so stick with me, and you're like, where does this, why are we talking about prayer? Stick with me, because we'll get there here in just a little bit. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, um, we're talking about the supremacy of God, the kingship of God. When we say God is sovereign, we're saying that God is God. We're declaring him most high, none is above him. We look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 and 35. In the second half of verse 34 coming in, it says, I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all inhabitants of the, of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When we say that God is sovereign, we're saying that he is almighty. Not just mighty, but he is almighty, possessing all power in heaven and on earth, that no one can defeat his plan, prevent his purpose, or resist his will. We look at Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. We look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. When we say that God is sovereign, we mean that he is the governor of nations. He sets up kingdoms 
overthrows empires, determines the course of human events. He is the only sovereign king of kings and lord of lords. And just in case you weren't convinced, let's look at Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's look at Psalm 22, verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules over nations. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs 21, 30. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. 1 Timothy 6. Uh, 15 and 16, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable, unapproachable light. No one has ever seen or can see to him be the honor and eternal dominion. And wrapping up this, although we could keep going for a while, Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, For I am God, there is no other like me. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. Declaring the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. All right. So, if you will humor me for just a minute. I saw we had a whiteboard in the office. It's like, I'm using it tonight. All right. So as inadequate as this illustration may be, imagine in this box is everything that has ever existed. Now, the reason it's inadequate is because it seems like there's a beginning and an end, right? God has existed. Nothing created God, but just humor me for a minute, right? So on the, everything that ever exists, you get nations, failures, I'm not going to realize, times yet to come, everything that's ever existed is included in this box, okay? Can we try to wrap our little minds around that? It's kind of hard. And outlined are those scriptures that we just read declaring that God is sovereign. Okay? On the same page. Yeah. Okay. Nothing in here is going to cause God's will and his ultimate will, his ultimate plan to go off course. Nothing in here is going to throw God off. Nothing in here has ever caught him off guard. He's not like, whoa, where'd that come from? Right? Nothing. He is sovereign over it all. At the same time, nothing has ever happened out here or down here, or over here, because if it's happened out here, it's outside of God's sovereignty, right? And if something's happened over here or down here, then God's not God over it. And if God's not God over this, then he's not God at all. So sovereign means that he is over it all, that his will will be accomplished. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do to throw off God's plan. So whatever pedestal we put ourselves on, let's go ahead and knock ourselves off we can't, we can't throw off God's plan. And this is where I was running into the question of why. Why do I pray? Can anyone see my dilemma here? If God is, is in control, why am I praying? Like, what's, okay, I can pray or I cannot, and either way, his will is still going to be accomplished. It's not going to be thrown off or, or, or by, by the, the lack of prayers by Michael Ballard in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. His will will be accomplished. And so instead of, this is an extreme point of view, and just so I have to reinforce, I am not, this is not my final resting place on prayer, okay? I wanted to get to the why. 
Why is it important that we pray? If God's will is going to be accomplished no matter what, why is it important that I pray? Is anyone else kind of like, okay, yeah, why is it important that we pray? I know we're commanded to. What's the reason why? And this is the thing, like I said, we run up against these truths. God's sovereign, and we're commanded to pray. But why? Why? Go ahead, D, are you going to ruin my night again? No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. No, no, D, what were you going to say? Yep, that's one of the reasons, absolutely. So, we're going to come back to the sovereignty of God here in just a minute. So, pack that away, keep that in your back pocket. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. So, I'm looking at this truth of God that he's sovereign, that he's in control. And a seemingly kind of unrelated truth about us and our stance and relationship to God kind of helps start to shed some light on why we pray. So, let me ask you guys a question. Um, Where were we before Christ? Where, were we spiritually neutral? Were we like flirting with God? We were just kind of afraid to commit to him? Like, hey, you know, like we wouldn't always return his phone calls. Were we window shopping God to see if he fit us? Okay, just in case we need a refresher, we'll go to the word of God to see where we were. Um, so we're gonna look at Romans 1 and at Philippians 3. Romans 1 tells us that we were unrighteous for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Philippians 3 tells us that we are enemies of the cross. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. We're unrighteous. We're enemies of the cross. Ephesians 2, lest any of you think that, you know, hey, man, that's a good person. Do they love Jesus? No, but they've they got, they got a good heart. Let's, let's shoot holes in that theory real quick. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We were dead in our sins. We were children of wrath. So we've got unrighteous, we've got enemies of the cross, We've got dead in our sins. We've got children of wrath. Um, and, and Romans 8, which speaks into a, a lot of, of this, which I could have just read um, this verse. Romans 8, verses 7 and 8. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. There it is again. You are an enemy. You are opposed to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay. So that's where we were before Christ. Okay. Just so we're all on the same page. It's called original sin, total depravity, like nothing good in us. We are sinful by our nature before Christ. Let's contrast that with where we are in Christ, okay? So let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, who is this talking about? Christ. Thank you, just so we're all on the same page. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God, Jesus tells his disciples in John 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Romans 6, verses 10 and 11 says this, For the death he died to, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, and then back to Romans 8, 
Um, I stopped shorts on that on purpose because it would have ruined my point. Seven and eight tell us that we are living in the flesh, that we're enemies of God. Verse nine, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Do you see the contrast between where we were before Christ and where we were after Christ? Okay, all on the same page. And it's this last verse that starts to give us some insight and starts to lead us down the right direction of why we pray, because it tells us that we are living in the Spirit, that we are filled with God's Spirit, that we are empowered by His Spirit. Um, When we use phrases like a Spirit-filled church, um, we, we often use it to designate certain denominations, The truth is any real Bible-believing church is a spirit-filled church. Why? Because it is filled with believers who are walking in the spirits, right? A lot of times we use the spirit-filled church as a designation or as a license to kind of act a little crazy, but what about the Baptist church down the road that's making disciples and and making um, uh, people who who are knowledgeable about the things of God? Are they spirit-filled? Well, Michael, you know what I mean. No, I don't. I don't know what you mean. Do you know what you mean? Like, we, we've got to understand what we're talking about here. That it's no longer us, but it's Christ living in us. It says nothing about Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or anything like that, right? That it's, it is the Spirit at work in all of us. And so before I expand on this, here's, here's what I've got to say. Is that our prayers matter because our prayers are the means by which God's will is advanced in this world. And I read that, and I was like, that's good. I still don't really understand how. How? And we have to make a distinction at this point, because if one end of the spectrum is me thinking, why do I pray? God's will is going to be accomplished. The other end of the spectrum is, hey, if I just pray, and I just say in Jesus' name enough, then it's going to happen, right? If I pray, I get what I want. And here it is. Um, Our prayers matter because our prayers advance the will of God. Yes, From a human perspective, who does that put the onus on? Us. It makes us look like we are the means to bring about God's end. But we're walking by the Spirit. And so we have to keep the heavenly perspective in mind. Which, what is the heavenly perspective? Is that God has done the work in us. God is the author of our faith. He is the one that is changing us. And in response, we walk by the Spirit, and then He accomplishes His ends. But it's through us. It's this heavenly perspective that he is the author and finisher, that I, I'm getting to walk in line with the spirits. And so apart from Christ, do we have any desire to do the things of God? Do we have any ability to do the things of God? No, but we're not that way anymore. The Bible says we're a new creation. That means we have a new heart. We have new passions. We have new desires. That anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And so we, we, talk about, we, we talk about who we are in Christ because it means that we are full of the Spirit, which means it's got to be emptied of who? Me. Full of the Spirit and it's supposed to be self-emptied. Right? And Jesus said in John 14, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Anything you ask, here it is again, in my name. I will do it. Whose name are we asking in? Yeah. They, they drew for the lottery last night. I'm going to win that ticket in Jesus' name. 
is it really in Jesus' name or is it, God, I'm going to give to the churches, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to have a pretty nice house and a lot of land and maybe a couple few cars, right? But it's in Jesus' name. Is it? Is that prayer emptied of self? Or is it a spirit-led prayer? Ephesians 6 tells us this in verses 16 and 18. It says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Praying in the Spirit or praying in the Holy Spirit. I want to ask you guys to open up your Bibles to Jude 20 or Ephesians 6, whatever you want. And I I hope I'm not trapping myself here. Um, But does anyone's translation say praying in tongues? Ephesians 6, it'd be verse um, 18 or Jude 20. Does anyone's translation say, say praying in tongues? And before you, you think I'm going somewhere, I'm, let me tell you, this is not going to be an assault against the gift of speaking in tongues at all. What this is an assault is, 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 is against uh, improper reading of the Scripture. So, so let me just clarify where we're going with this. We believe fully in the gifts of the Spirit and the operation that God gives the gifts as he sees fit to individual members of the body of Christ for the edification of the body let me just go ahead and put that out there before we get crazy. But the reason I'm asking you is this. Does that prayer, um, does that verse, anyone's verse say speaking in other tongues? Yeah. Want to know why? Because it's not the translation. I had someone try to emphasize that this verse meant that we were to pray in other tongues. Now, that is a gift of the Spirit, absolutely, 100%. That's not what these two verses are saying. They're saying praying in the Spirit. In the Greek, it's the hagios pneuma, the Holy Spirit. If it were to say tongues, the Greek would say something like glossae, right? In, in, in language, other languages, but it doesn't say that. So what's it mean when it says that we are to pray in the Spirit? Jesus said, if you pray in my name, you're supposed to pray in the Spirit. When we pray, we don't pray in our name. We don't pray for our will to be done. We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray for God's will to be done. We pray for God's will to be accomplished on on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for God's will and what he wants. And this happens in true prayer. I'll never discourage anyone from praying, but I can tell you that there are effective prayers and there are ineffective prayers. That there are prayers that are prayed properly and there are prayers that are prayed improperly. I'm never going to discourage anyone from praying and going before God, but, but there's a difference between selfish prayers and spirit-led prayers. And as sons and daughters, we're to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray in Jesus' name, which means that we come into alignment with the will and the Spirit of God. And Romans 8, 26 through 28 kind of gave me the answer that I was looking for. And it says this. Let me get there. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Let us stop there real quick. Spirit helps us in our weakness. Good. The Spirit's doing what it's supposed to do. John 14, 26. What did Jesus say? He said, I will send the helper, which is the Holy Spirit. Good. Holy Spirit's doing its job. It's helping us. 
Holy Spirit gives us strength in our weakness. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness when we're afraid to speak up. The Holy Spirit uh, strengthens our faith when we, when we lack faith. The Holy Spirit helps us. But let's look at Romans 8 and see what the context here and, and how the Holy Spirit is helping us. Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So how is the Spirit helping us in this instance? In our prayers. Spirit's helping us in our prayers. How so? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. That the Spirit is helping, working on our behalf so that our prayers are in alignment with the will of God. And then verse 28, just, just in case, because we like to quote this one out of context a lot. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. The will of God. The will of God is good. I may not always like it. I may not always understand it. But as a faithful, obedient servant of God as a child of God, as a worker for God, I've got to trust that he is good and he knows what he's doing. Back to my original paradox, what's the point of praying if God's will is going to be accomplished regardless? His will is carried out through the prayers of people coming in line with his will, submitting to his will right? That we carry out the mission of God on earth, that we have died to ourselves, that we are praying not in our name, but in Jesus' name in alignment with the Spirit, carrying out what he has commanded us to do. And so here we go again, back to the whiteboard, because you know, why not? I'm about to blow your minds because it's double-sided. What? There we go. So the will of God, it's mentioned a few different ways. People are like, I want to know what the will of God is. Okay, what are you talking about? Because there's God's ultimate will, there's God's uh, perceptive will, and there's, there's what the Bible calls like God's will of disposition, which we're not going to get into tonight. But we've got God's ultimate will, which no one can thwart, no one can go against. Then we've got this other will, which you see this word, think of like the precepts, like God's commands. Are you guys perfect? Have you, have you broken a couple of commands? Think of the Ten Commandments. You guys ever lied? Guess what? Mm, outside of that, you guys ever uh, uh, put something before God? Maybe your job, maybe your kids. Okay, yep, you're outside of that as well. You guys ever coveted, been a little jealous? Okay, you're outside of that as well. You guys ever lusted? <gasps> outside of that. You guys ever killed anyone? See that hand? Yeah, no. Bible, Jesus says if you've ever hated anyone in your heart, remember, outside of that will. So what happens in prayer? A couple things. Here's how, here, let's, let's, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but let's look at the Lord's Prayer, if you will. Our Father in heaven. So we've got this intimate relationship with a heavenly Father, a Father who is sovereign over all. Close. Feel the closeness. Hallowed be thy name. Before you get too close, let's not forget who he is. You're our heavenly Father, but you are holy above all else. All right, got that in mind. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May you bring us into alignment with your perfect will, right? May we carry out the call that you have placed so we can carry out 
your will. You see what's going on here? When, when do I get to start telling God what I, what I need? When, when, what about me? When do I get that? Oh, calm down. Let's put things in perspective here. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give me what I need for today. Why? Because tomorrow has enough worries on its own. Give me what I need for today. Forgive me of my sins. Ooh, hold on. So what's still happening here? Okay, this is where these things that are outside, forgive me. Bring me back into this part of your will. Bring me back into this part of your will. So it's not just, it's not just let me carry out, but it's let me and my conduct be in alignment with what you have called me, how you have called me to live. Why is prayer important? Because selfish prayers are saying, hey, okay, yeah, this is cool, but here's what I really want. Okay, yeah, okay, cool. You've got your ultimate will, God, but okay, here's what, here's what I think would be a really good idea. Selfish prayers aren't effective because selfish prayers really, really try to avoid the ways that we've gone against God's will. Selfish prayers don't want to admit that we're wrong, don't want to admit that we're fallen, don't want to admit that we're broken and we're dead in our sins. And so we're kind of like, yeah, uh, okay, yeah, okay. If I have to say I'm sorry so I can get what I want. Selfish prayers are not spirit-led prayers. And prayer is important because it has to be framed in the right context. Because Spirit-led prayers are ultimately, God, how can I glorify you the way that I live in carrying out your call? Are we see what's going on here? Why prayer is important and why it matters. Because it's, it, we've got to define prayer is not just telling God, we cast our cares on God because he cares for us. I'm not telling you to not give God your needs at all. But a lot of times what we want is we cast our cares and hoping that he just fix it. And a lot of times we say, whoa, 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 whoa. My, grace, my grace is sufficient in your weakness, Right? And so I may not answer how you want, but I'm still answering. How so? Because you are walking by the Spirit. And so it's, it's bringing us into alignment with the will of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says that you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That guess what? Each and every one of us has a call that God has placed on our lives to be active and effective in the body of Christ. My knee, if my knee hurts, it's affecting the way I walk. Eventually, if my knee keeps messing me, it's going to throw me out of alignment. My back's going to start hurting. That like when one part of my body isn't functioning how it should, it can affect the rest of my body. Selfishly, I don't want to carry out the will of God. Do you? Do you want to tell your friends about Jesus? You're like, I do. Why? It's not because you're just a really cool person. It's because God has been working on you. I don't want to do it on my own. Nope, I'm out. But guess what? We're not called to live on our own. We're called to die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. And so we look at a verse like Romans 10, verses uh, 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. God save the lost. Well, check this out. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You've got people coming into alignment with the will of God to fulfill this verse so that the lost can be saved. 
that I've got to be obedient in preaching the good news. You've got to be obedient to preaching the good news. We as a church have to be obedient in sending people out and equipping people out to preach the good news. How does that happen? Not on my own power. By the Spirit working in me. By the Spirit moving in me. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, la- that the, the Lord, or, sorry, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this is how God's will is carried out. It's through the obedience of his children. Coming into alignment with his will. Right? And we say things like, prayer changes things. First, prayer changes us. Prayer changes us and brings us into alignment with God's will so that we can carry out the work that he asked for us until he returns, that we are to be about our Father's business, carrying out his work. Ian Bounds phrases it this way, the prayers of God's saints are the capital stock in heaven by which Christ carries on his great work upon the earth. Right? The purpose of, of prayer is that our wills be thrown aside. As hard as that is to pray. When Jesus was on the earth, he, he submitted to the will of the Father. And when he was in the garden, what did he say? If, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Is that how he ended the prayer? Not what I want, but your will be done. Right, what, what do our prayers look like? Because self-centered prayers don't stop God's will from happening. We're not that important. But self-centered prayers can prevent us from playing a part. And self-centered wills are, or self-centered prayers are disobedient prayers, and that takes us out of the will of God and takes out of the perceptive will of God anyway. So why do we pray? To change us. Why? so that we can carry out the work God has for us. Man, and what an awesome and heavy responsibility that is. Right? A lot of times we enter into prayer just kind of flippantly. Okay, I'll do it when I'm driving. And listen, I'm never going to discourage you from praying. But are we taking time to like get on our face and go before God and not be distracted by, by people driving around us not by be distracted, but like, are we willing to take time and say, God, not, not what's convenient for me because driving and praying is super convenient, but what's your will? I'm sorry for going against your will. Bring me back into alignment with it. Forgive me. Let my conduct and my actions be in line with you. And then let me carry out the call that you have placed on my life you have called me, that you've called all believers to, so that we can accomplish your good and perfect and pleasing will. Well, I hope that was um, for someone other than myself. If not, you got to hear me ramble for 30 minutes, just me searching for an answer, and there you go. Um, next week, we're going to be looking a little bit more into the Lord's Prayer and kind of the, the structure of that prayer and the proper way to go before God, but I really thought it was kind of important that we answer the question as to why, why we pray. Um, Yes, we're commanded to. Yes, it builds a relationship. But 
when it comes to God's will being done. Why do we pray? So with that, let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we come before you this evening. God, and we thank you that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are holy and, and mighty above all others. God, I pray that you continue to change us and shape us and mold us and convict us, God, and draw us back to you, God, so that we can carry on the work that you have called us to be. God, you have called us children. God, you've called us servants. God, let us be faithful and obedient in both of these callings. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.